the whole entrepreneurial mindset to me is just like all about doing rather than like talking about doing or theorizing about doing. I used to kind of kind of like jump straight into it. I was like, if I want to learn Latin, like how will I know if I've learned Latin? Well, if I can read the Aeneid and understand it, then that's probably a good sign. <laughs> so I started trying to read the Aeneid and like decipher grammar and vocab from there. Welcome to The Founder's Couch, a show about Stanford and MIT student entrepreneurs. This is WNBR Cambridge, 88.1 FM, WNBR.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Watanabe. So many university students have created something, yet most of us do not know about these incredible endeavors. Founder's Couch hopes to shed a light on those journeys, stories, lessons, and provide a platform where others interested in entrepreneurship can listen in and be inspired. For this episode, we are back here at MIT, and I want to briefly introduce my guest, Kat Huang. So, funny story, Kat actually lives in my dorm on the same floor, just two doors away from my room, and I only found out recently that she's quite the accomplished student entrepreneur. Kat hails from Lowell, Massachusetts, and she's currently a freshman planning on majoring in urban planning and computer science. During her junior year of high school, she founded Science in Us, a nonprofit organization that runs events and creates online educational resources to help high schoolers learn about science communication. Since starting college, she has continued to plan various talks, workshops, and hackathons for the program. Her passion most recently attracted the attention of the Boston Globe, which featured an editorial that she wrote for their opinions column. I can't wait to hear more about her story. So let's get her on the couch. All right, Kat, welcome, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. So this is your first semester at MIT, right? Yep. How's the adjustment? Has everything been going smoothly? Yeah, the adjustment hasn't been too bad. I'm from Massachusetts, so I'm used to the weather and all that. But I feel like I jumped straight into a lot of different activities, and I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, classic freshman year, I think. So tell me a bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and what's your background? I'm from Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, which is like a mill city. We have like lots of old uh, mills. A lot of them are being renovated. During high school, I did a lot of science fairs and organizing and going to hackathons. Um, I also did robotics, and for the most part, like. Most of my activities like focused on STEM and helping other students get into STEM. Um, I also dabbled a bit in like model United Nations, dance, and cross country. Up until this moment in the semester, and for our listeners, it's almost been like three months since school has started. But I had no idea you were running Science in Us, and so I'm really curious to hear what was your inspiration to start this organization. During high school, I did a lot of science fairs. And I found that I really loved talking about my projects、uh, as much as I loved doing them. So、um, at science fairs, you know, we would have a lot of people come in who weren't necessarily experts. Like we had parents, we had people's siblings,、um, just like random people who were stopping by. And I really loved explaining my work to them because it was just a really fun challenge to figure out, you know, like where are they coming from, like how much background knowledge do they have, and like how can I make it so that this like. Kind of complicated, kind of niche topic is understandable and interesting to them. And then I realized that 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 is science communication, and it's a thing that people do professionally. And so I wanted to learn more about that. That's great. And what are some example fields that people can be, you know, working in 
full-time in science communication? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the most obvious ones are being a science communicator, whether it's at uh, in a classroom or at a museum or zoo, national park. Um, there are also science journalists on radio, on like print news, on digital news. Usually they're reporting um, the latest studies and like talking about why this is like relevant to us. But then there are also people who work on policy and make sure that our laws are informed by scientific studies. Um, and the beauty of science communication is that you can kind of apply it to anything. So like even if you don't work in science, you don't really touch science, it's still a really valuable skill to have because fundamentally it's just being able to explain complicated things in an understandable and clear way. Did you always see yourself becoming an entrepreneur? Um, I wouldn't say I ever set out to become an entrepreneur, but I think I've always had entrepreneurial qualities. So during middle school, um, I heard this one Greek song and I really wanted to understand it. And so I spent the next three years teaching myself modern Greek. Um, <laughs> and I did this by like talking to native speakers online, like trying to decipher like this PDF of a grammar textbook that I found. Wow, very invested in this, yeah. <laughs> in this song. I did the same thing for Latin because I was like mapping out my high school schedule and I wanted to take Spanish and Latin, but I didn't want to do like Spanish one, Spanish two, Latin one, Latin two, because then I wouldn't know Spanish or Latin. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up not taking Spanish, but um, I think like the whole entrepreneurial mindset to me is just like all about doing rather than like talking about doing or theorizing about doing. I just kind of like jump straight into it. I was like, if I want to learn Latin, like how will I know if I've learned Latin? Well, if I can read the Aeneid and understand it, then that's probably a good sign. <laughs> so I started trying to read the Aeneid and like decipher grammar and vocab from there. Wow, awesome. So this program, this organization that you have, I feel like, you know, very easily it could have just been a small school club. But what pushed you to actually go through the whole process of establishing a nonprofit organization? Yeah, um, so my high school didn't really have a club culture. Like, we had clubs, but for the most part, you know, like, if you did a sport, you just logistically speaking could not be in a club, too. And so, like, the clubs that we had, there was, like, a space for them, but they weren't really something that people invested a ton of time in. So I didn't really think about starting a club at my school. And also, I wanted this to be a thing that students from anywhere could have access to because I really wanted to make sure that students could learn about science communication and practice it because this wasn't really something that's mentioned in classrooms. So um, I figured, you know, why not just bring together people from all sorts of schools and all sorts of backgrounds. So when did you start this um, organization, this program up? I thought of the idea in like spring of my sophomore year of high school. So that was around April 2017. And it was actually kind of crazy because I forgot that I came up with this idea so early. And <laughs> one day, I don't know, like last year, I found this old notebook that I had where I had written down like an event schedule, like a hypothetical event schedule. And it turns out that that was like the exact same schedule of our first Science and Us event, which happened like a year and a half after I wrote wow. that. So yeah, like I got the idea sophomore year and I just kind of sat around in my head for a year before I actually did anything about it. I had tried to reach out to a professor. She actually just retired from MIT. Um, she is a science writing professor here. And I reached out to her. I was like, hey, I have this uh, idea for an event and I was wondering if you could like help me organize it. Um, and she was too busy. So she said no. But and then I just kind of like dropped it for a little bit. But the idea was like nagging in my head for a long while. So about a year later, I actually like started it in February 2017. 
Interesting. So who was maybe like your first few initial supporters of this? Like who helped you bring it to reality? During junior year of high school, I had done this science fair at Boston University. And a few months later, when I wanted to start Science in Us, I reached out to her and I actually got very lucky. She provided a venue and catering for our first event. So I didn't have to fundraise and I didn't have to go through the hurdle of finding a venue, which is honestly one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. So she was a huge supporter. Um, and then for getting speakers and presenters for our first event, it actually turns out turned out is pretty easy to do that. Um, I just found a bunch of like science communicators online and I reached out to them and like pretty much everyone was like willing to volunteer their time. Wow, that's really nice. So do you have a team that you work with of like other high schoolers or college students and how did you meet them? Yeah, right now our team uh, is only four people. It's two high schoolers and two college students, including me. We all went to different schools and um, Two of them are past attendees of Science and Us events. Wow. And does each person kind of have their own role or expertise in, in how you guys operate your programs and your workshops? Yeah, I would say, honestly, everyone does a little bit of everything. But we have one person who's more focused on event logistics, like getting speakers, making sure the schedule is good, ordering food and ordering materials for our events. Um, another person is in charge of our social media presence and getting more online resources out there so that we can impact students beyond the greater Boston area. I personally do a little bit of everything, like our website, marketing, fundraising. Um, and then we have another person who is pretty busy, so she mostly focuses, she mostly helps out with um, event logistics when she can. You've been listening to Founders Couch on WNBR Cambridge. I'm your host, Chelsea Watanabe. Here today with Kat Huang, a student entrepreneur here at MIT. So I'm not very knowledgeable about nonprofit organizations and how they work, but could you explain a bit more about what it means for a business to be nonprofit? Yeah, um, there are a couple designations like under the law that a nonprofit or like charity can be. Science in Us itself isn't actually a like 501c3 nonprofit ourselves, but we are fiscally sponsored by one. So what that means is that like any donations to us are tax exempt and we can in most situations act as a nonprofit. Our fiscal sponsor is called Hat Club and they're a fiscal sponsor specifically for high school organizations actually because it's very hard for anyone under 18 to open a bank account and raise money even though they might have the passion and the people and everything else that you need to run events and organizations as a high schooler. So um, they provide like financial services so that we can like um, send invoices and accept donations and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's a really helpful resource to have. And they were also one of our early supporters. And did you have any other initial resources or people who you reached out to when you decided to make this a, a thing? Yeah, one of the first people I reached out to was Nathan Sanders. Um, he got a PhD from Harvard in astrophysics, and he is the founder of ComSciCon. ComSciCon is a conference for and by graduate students who are interested in science communication. Um, there are now a bunch of chapters of ComSciCon across the country, but it was started in Boston and the national flagship had been held in Boston up until 2019, actually. I reached out to Nathan to see if ComSciCon could sponsor Science in Us. And although they couldn't, um, I was lucky enough to be able to go to the national ComSciCon event. Um, this is like a really selective event just because there are so many 
graduate students interested in science communication today, which is really exciting. But pretty much like one in 20 got to go. Um, and I was like the youngest like invited guest they ever had. So it was just like super, super exciting for me to be in this space for like three whole days, like surrounded by people who like were really passionate about science communication because I had never had that before. Like for me, like even though I started an organization like bringing together people who work in science communication and students who are interested in learning about it, it just still isn't a common thing. You know, like in high school, if you are interested in a sport, you can join your school team, you can join a traveling team. If you want to do debate, you can join a debate club and debate across the country. And same with like all these other interests. But for me, there was just like nothing like that for science communication, which is also why I started this. But yeah, um, having that experience with CompSciCon early on um, was really exciting for me. And you were still in high school? Yeah, I was a junior in high school. Wow. So you're this like little high schooler with a bunch of grad students then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I blended in pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Wow. So what were some of the challenges you faced then initially when you're setting this up? I think one of our ongoing challenges is the fact that our organization name is Science in Us, but we aren't trying to get students into science. Uh, That's what a lot of people think we do. Um, But really... You know, science communication is something that anyone can and sort of should be able to do. It's really just communication, and it just happens to be about science, but you can also make it not about science. Because we're one of the few organizations, like, you know, as far as I know, like, the only organization getting high schoolers into science communication, we have to sort of define what that means ourselves. And because there's so many, there's such a push for STEM outreach these days, we oftentimes get uh, mix in with those and we just have to figure out how to you know um, we just have to figure out how to improve our messaging and branding so that people recognize that we want and appreciate like art students just as much as we want and appreciate science students mm. so it kind of sounds like this whole STEM outreach and this wave for STEM is almost like undermining your efforts to diversify your student group? Yeah, that has like kind of been an issue. <laughs> Interesting. Um, for our event marketing, um, we've gotten a lot of, and this is just sort of like a result of like who we reached out to and stuff, but we've gotten a lot of like parents who are interested in having their kids do some uh, weekend STEM program. And that's the kind of people that sign up for events. So we have like parents sign their kids up and then their kids show up to our event and they're like, I don't know what this is. My mom told me it was a science event, like, you know. Um, so that's also been an issue. And we're trying to um, improve our marketing efforts and like where we market so that we don't end up with that situation as much. Yeah. What kind of events do you usually host? So it sounds like you have some workshops and some, do you have hackathons as well? Yeah, we call them makeathons. So what kind of things do what's like a a day in a workshop with science and us like yeah so typically it starts with an icebreaker just to like get people to know each other and then the entire day is dedicated to creating projects so these are projects that somehow communicate convey or explain a science topic and um our upcoming event is going to be focused on art so things like illustration, graphics, videos, like we have a pretty broad definition of art. But in the past, we've also had like podcasts and 
journalistic articles. Basically, just like we give students the resources they need to make these projects. So we have mentors and workshops, uh, which are basically like hands-on tutorials that are like one hour long and introduce the students to a certain medium. And then at the end of the day, we come together and share what we've made. And we've kind of been tweaking this event format. Like we started out uh, as a very like lecture heavy presentation heavy event which was like never my intention but it just like turned out that way and we really want to move away from that and get students actually practicing science communication instead of just listening to adults talk about here's what I do at my job as a science communicator. <laughs> Very cool so are most of the teachers and instructors then volunteers and like other college students and high schoolers or how do you do the actual operations of, of like a workshop? In the past, most of our volunteers have been professional science communicators um, or like graduate students, postdocs. But at our next event, we're planning to have more undergraduate and like college student volunteers. Uh, we really want to make sure that the event is welcoming to people with like any level of interest or background in science. And we recognize that a lot of students like might really want to make an art project, but they might not know the science uh, to make a science communication project. So we'll have like college students who can like help them out with like brainstorming and like even doing a little bit of research to make sure that the science part of it is there. So now that you're at MIT and, you know, going through the whole college process yourself, has your role in, in leading this program really changed or have you found new challenges that you need to take care of? I think I'm thinking of my role the same way. Like even in high school, I never thought of this as my high school activity or a school activity. It's always been a passion that I did outside of school. So uh, even though I'm at college now and a lot of people kind of drop their high school commitments, I'm still running it. I think any challenges that have come up in this time are like not really associated with the fact that I went to college, uh, aside from maybe like time commitment, but that's always been a challenge. And where do you see this going? Do you see it growing, expanding, or do you have any plans in the near future for it too? Yeah, I really want to make the event formats just like even better. This uh, event, we're especially focusing on marketing to the right people, like students, not parents. And we also <laughs> want to make the event format better itself. So like last time, we really moved from like away from lectures and turned it into a makeathon, but I think we didn't give the students enough time and we didn't give them enough direction. So that's also something that we're uh, focusing on. And in addition to improving the events, we've had a lot of students actually from across the country reaching out to us and saying like, you know, I want to learn science communication. Um, can I like organize an event in my area or like can I like somehow join? And while we still want to like we don't want to spread our resources too thin by like organizing events in a bunch of areas we want to create online resources so that other students can have access to it wow that's awesome that you're hearing from across the world are they mostly hearing about you through like websites and is that how most of your marketing happens yeah i think our online marketing is like different than our in-person marketing i think the online i think the people who hear about science and us online kind of hear about it through like communities that I'm a part of so like they hear about me and then they like kind of hear about my work too I see so there's like a waterfall effect there yeah I'm not like entirely sure what happens <laughs> but interesting all right so usually with my interviewees I do a speed question round with a few more questions you know more about your life here at MIT so are you down sure 
Okay, first question is, what is your favorite class at MIT? So since it's your first semester, it'll be one of the ones that you're taking now. Um, and why is it your favorite one? Uh, my favorite class is CMS 618, Interactive Narrative. At first, I didn't like it because there's some fiction writing, and I haven't written fiction since like my middle school fan fiction phase. <laughs> um, but now I'm like working on this like interactive electronic project that I really like. And it's actually nonfiction because like I am allowed to do that. It's just like no one really does it. Wait, interesting. Interactive. Interactive narrative. Yeah. Narrative. So like, we study like choose your own adventure books and terminal games and things like that. Wow. I didn't know that was a class. Yeah. Cool. Where is your favorite place to do work on campus? This is a tough one. This is a tough one. <laughs> Um, is there a library that you like to go to, or do you mostly just stay in your room? <laughs> like McCormick Penthouse. Oh yes, empty classrooms. Uh, and surprisingly, Save TFP last night was a good place to get work done. Yeah, Save TFP. So Save TFP for our listeners who don't know is just another student organization on campus, and they run events. They're basically like study group, study break events. Mm -hmm. Um. What was the event last night for CTFP? It was Confessions Live. Oh, interesting. So they had people submit confessions and... Yeah, they had people submit confessions specifically for the event. And then a bunch of the active, the really active commenters on the actual MIT confessions oh, were see. there in person giving a live commentary oh, of that's what they fun. thought of them. I like that. That's fun. All right. My next question I have for you. What is your favorite activity to do and de-stress on campus? I think dancing. Are you in one of the dance groups? Yeah, I'm on Asian dance team. Oh, cool. And finally, what is one piece of advice you'd give for students on campus who might want to start their own thing? I think from my experience, so this is something from my experience, and I think it's really important to recognize that I never set out to start a nonprofit or start an organization. I simply wanted to solve my own problem. And then like starting a nonprofit was sort of the side effect of that. But it's very easy to look at my story and be like, you know, one day I just sat down and was like, start a, start a nonprofit. <laughs> um, the thing that keeps me going in Science and Us is the fact that this is a problem that I faced and sort of continue to face. Like I really wanted to learn about science communication, but I couldn't figure out how to do that. Like there was no like clear path for me to do that. And so, and at the same time, like science communication is this really liberating thing because it tells you that you don't have to be just a science person and you don't have to be just a humanities person. You can have all these diverse interests and embrace them and even make a career out of them if you want to. So that's really liberating to know, but it's not mentioned. So that is the thing that keeps me going because, you know, it's still sort of like an up and coming idea. No one else is really working on it, at least uh, telling high schoolers about it. So I would say start out with a problem that you want to solve. And if you can, make sure that problem is something that you personally care about. Awesome. Well, best of luck with all of your upcoming endeavors. And thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Founders Couch on WMBR Cambridge, a show about student entrepreneurs and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. Now, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Thanks again, Kat, for coming on the couch. I'm excited to see where she goes with Science and Us. To all you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. 
If you've got any feedback, suggestions, questions, or existential thoughts, write me at cwat at mit.edu. Lastly, wherever you're listening, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We're also on Spotify and iTunes. Next episode, will be on the West Coast at Stanford with my co-host, Catherine. Make sure to tune in to hear about another amazing entrepreneurial journey. I'm Chelsea Watanabe, and you've been listening to The Founder's Couch. Catch you next time, and see y'all soon.